Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Jeremiah, what's going on, man? What is good, dude? It's great to be back. I know. It's been about five minutes. <laughs> uh, cool, man. You want to... I think we, <laughs> we had a lot of small talk the last one. We get right into some questions this time. Yeah, absolutely. Let's... Um, for any of you guys who didn't listen to the last episode, um, me and Jeremiah had a lot, of, a lot of small chat, and then we got into some deep conversation in terms of program design and what we've been doing in our own programming. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I'd highly suggest going back and doing that. The, the plan was to do some questions in that episode as well. We really got through one question because we sat and chit-chatted just because we haven't been able to have conversation very much for the last um, month and a half or so. And so that's really just us catching up and having a long conversation as friends and, and colleagues and talking about training and nutrition and where our lives have been. So um, with that, in this episode, we're just going to get into a bunch of questions and um, answer all of these that we've been getting for the last, for me, the questions I've been getting for the last month or so. I don't know how Might long have it's been for, for a long time. Too. Have they? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we're just going to hop in and, and do a bunch of training and nutrition questions. If you want to hear us catch up as you usually do in these episodes, go back to that previous episode if you haven't listened to it already and, and you'll hear us just banter back and forth for quite a while. So how about, I'll go first on this one. Is that cool? Let's hear it. Okay, cool. So question number one, I've heard from you and other people now that you can have just as much success counting calories and protein as you can counting all of your macronutrients. I've had a lot of success with macros, but, like, but I like the idea of simplifying. If I've already been counting macros, will switching to calories and protein still work? I like this question because I know that you're, well, I, I don't, maybe that's be assuming, but you're more heavily working with more advanced people who are working more with macros as opposed mm-hmm. to me working with a lot of people who are just calories and protein. So I like this one. Yeah. I wouldn't say that you can have, it depends on the goal, right? I think like if your goal is to build absolutely as much muscle as possible, I think there's like a threshold to where to this certain point, you can't have the same amount of success tracking just calories and protein versus tracking macros. Now, before we get into that, what I'll say is if you're already someone that's tracking macros, and you transition to just tracking calories and protein. Like this is something I do. We do with quite a few clients who are like, okay, I've achieved the goal. I feel great. I don't honestly care that much about like trying to optimize my muscle growth anymore. Like I just want to maintain this body and let's simplify a little bit. Okay, cool. So the reality is like you've already been tracking. So let's say you've been following a relatively higher carb, lower fat, higher protein approach, right? You're still going to eat mostly that way. Like your ratio of carbs to fat will stay pretty similar because that's already how you habitually eat. You're just tracking the amount of calories and protein, right? But it's not like, oh shit, all of a sudden now, like I was eating 300 grams per car- of carbs per day and now like all of a sudden I'm accidentally like eating keto, right? It's not how it works. You're still, the carb intake is still probably going to stay pretty similar. So for most people, um, from that end of the spectrum, like you can do that. And I would say if you already track macros, you're actually probably in a better place. Like if your goal is like, if you still have, physique aspirations you want to build as much muscle as possible um let's say i think you can still you'll probably get a very 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 similar result um i think for most people who 
just want to, hey, I want to build some muscle. I want to get lean. I want to feel good. I want to like have a flexible lifestyle. I really don't know that tracking, like to the extent that we're going to focus on carbs, fats, protein is super necessary. But again, like the more advanced result where if it's like, hey, I want to optimize everything, which is more, more common with people that we work with. Like it's, I, I already have a good feel for this. I want to take things to the next level. Then again, I think it makes more sense to talk about macros because then we can get into nutrient timing, right? Like how are you feeling your training session? How are you feel, fueling your recovery? All these different things we can get into a lot more macros. There's a little bit, but I mean, the thing is regardless, like no matter what, even our clients that track calories and protein, more like it still ends up, they still end up eating pretty similar to what I would recommend if they're tracking macros. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? 100%. But, so it's like, hey, we noticed you felt shitty in your training session. So basically, if someone was tracking macros, I could say, hey, let's add 50 grams of carbs here. Or I'll, and I'd probably give food recommendations. But that person as well, I'd say, hey, like, what do you think about, let's add like a banana on top of four rice cakes to your pre-workout meal. It's so like the same thing, you know what I mean? And I think, mm-hmm. I think you still basically end up pushing them towards the macros they need for their goal. It's just like how aware of that the client is. I, no, I would agree um, 100% with it. Like what I'm generally thinking about when like if somebody should be on macros or calories and protein, first and foremost, it's when they come to me, like what is their overall goal? Like I've worked with some people who have gotten on a stage or like getting ready for a photo shoot that are getting mm-hmm. pretty lean, right? Um, or like somebody that's potentially like, I've even worked with some endurance athletes who are getting ready for like half marathons or marathons and stuff. And those types of situations when we're more focused on like a performance driven goal or getting to a very low level of body fat, Mm-hmm. I think it becomes more and more important to be tracking macros altogether, right? Just because you can optimize everything. Because when it comes to, I guess an important bring, part to bring up to this is let's talk about the role of calories, the role of protein, the role of fat and the role of carbs so that you have a, an understanding of what that process even looks like. So calories are just the law of thermodynamics, right? If you eat more calories than your body burns, your body's going to store those additional calories as, um, in your body as tissue, how you're going to build muscle, how you're potentially going to put on some body fat, um, or if you eat less calories than your body burns, you're obviously going to lose body fat or lose tissue at, in the form of your body using that tissue as energy, right? Um, protein is going to help you recover from training sessions. It's going to help you build more muscle. It's going to help you keep you more satiated um, in your diet. It's slower digesting. It has a higher TEF, meaning the thermogenic, the thermic effect of food, meaning you're going to burn more calories to digest protein than you are carbs or fats. So obviously that's very important, right? If you can control calories in versus calories out, that's going to control weight gain, weight loss. If you're eating enough protein, that's going to potentially help you build muscle. It's going to keep you more satiated during the diet. It's going to help your metabolic rate potentially be a little bit stronger throughout the diet. And so you can essentially control fat gain and fat loss through those two main mechanisms. And if you're strength training, you're still going to build a good amount of muscle, most likely if you're new to newer to training um, just by controlling those two variables. And then carbs are basically what our body's going to mainly use as a fuel or as a fuel source in our training, right? Through via through glycogen. Um, and so the more we can control that and make sure we're getting enough carbs in our system, more likely we're going to have better recovery from our training sessions, as well as we're going to have a better energy output for our training sessions as well. And then fats are just going to control, um, basically your hormonal regulation for the, for the most part, what would, what else would you say in terms of fats? Like it's going to help with brain function. It's going to help with your hormonal regulation. Is there anything else 
really there that's that's important to bring up? That's pretty much it. I mean, like we have your ratio of omega threes to omega six fatty acids, but that's getting I real deep. You, yeah, you pretty much nailed it there. Yeah. So, so understanding all of that, when it comes to a fat loss client who's just wanting to get into better shape, who wants to keep things simple, we can just control calories and protein and go out and create that result, right? And so, for the people that want to go deeper and want to get extremely lean or want to really optimize building muscle, maybe controlling carbs and fats starts to make more sense. The reason it makes more sense when you're trying to get as lean as possible is because one, you want to keep your fats high enough that your hormones regulate um, or in a better position to be able to regulate better, I guess you would say, as you get leaner and leaner so that you don't have as much, um, um, how, what would you, what would you say in terms of like your brain? So you don't like you have better cognitive, cognitive function, um, and just your hormonal production is in a better position. And then you want to give yourself as many carbs off the back of that to support your training and to be able to support recovery, um, when you're at those leaner levels and your hormones are in more of a, um, just a a vulnerable position, I guess you would say. And so that's when it starts to make more sense to count all of your carbs, proteins, and fats. Would you add anything to that? I don't think so, honestly, man. It's basically, again, yeah, like the less calories we have to come in, the leaner someone is getting. The smaller the margin for error. Like, as you mentioned, fats are basically the building block of a lot of your hormones. So if you're not mm -hmm. getting enough fat, okay, dudes, testosterone, and women, testosterone is going to take a hit. Um, hormones won't be in a good place mm -hmm. they could, so you won't feel good, you won't perform good, you won't hold well into as much muscle. Same thing with carbon tech. That's not where it needs to be. Or like, in the most optimal place, your training will suffer, your recovery will suffer, cortisol levels will be higher. And again, you probably won't, like if you're trying to get rid for a photo shoot, the result won't be as good as it could be. So I think you did a great job summing that up. Exactly. And like, even with the, the clients that I'm working with, um, like where we're just counting calories and we're counting protein, I have access to the back end of all of their food right. logs and I'm paying attention to biofeedback on a weekly basis. So we're looking at energy, we're looking at recovery, we're looking at motivation, we're looking at all of that kind of stuff. And if I can see a dip there, then I just go and back and look at the back end of their food logs and help them give different suggestions in terms of food. So I'm basically, just as Jeremiah said, manipulating their macros for them without them necessarily having to worry so much about counting them. That's, that's the funny thing is like, no matter what, we still like look at their macros and tweak their macros based on feedback. It's basically from the client perspective, what's it's going to make it easier for them to do here. Exactly. And like, just to, to finish that up, there's, there are a lot of studies out there showing that as long as calories and protein are um, accounted for, regardless of where that carb to fat ratio comes back at the end of the day, if calories and protein are controlled first, it doesn't directly correlate to a difference in fat gain or fat loss. So for purely fat loss clients, it makes a lot more sense. It's not going to deter their result in any sort of a way by just counting calories and protein. I would argue in a lot of most people, it's going to lead to a better result because it's going to lead to a lot more flexibility in terms of food choices without that Tetris game ball of your macros, mm -hmm. which is going to make it easier to stay on point, which is going to keep your motivation higher, which is going to keep your adherence higher, which is going to lead to a better result at the end of the day. That's been my experience anyway. No, I agree. I think like a a purely fat loss client will almost always track calories and protein, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's like, if I want body recomposition, I want to build muscle, then it's okay. We're going to probably track your macros. Cool. Do you have anything else to add to that? No, I think that was in depth. <laughs> uh, question I have when you're writing someone's initial macro prescription, how do you account for a high stress individual? Do you do anything different here? Do you think they need more calories in general? 
Um, absolutely. I think at least up front, right? So getting somebody started, my goal in the first bit of working with somebody, I mean, I guess some of it depends on the client. Like if they're a type A client and need to see results fast, things might change a little bit or else it's just going to take a little bit more communication right up front. But the goal always up front is to get somebody in a position to where their nutrition is like the least stressful on them as possible in those first few weeks. Usually meaning like if I know somebody's calorie deficit is going to be probably around like 1500 calories or so in week one with a highly stressful, stressed individual with a lot going on, I'm not going to say start eating right at 1500 calories. I'm going to say, let's start you out at between like 1800 to 2000 calories for this first couple of weeks. Let's just see where your metabolic rate comes back. Let's get you very comfortable with the systems of tracking of understanding like check-ins with me and what we're paying attention to and just help them build up, make nutrition less stressful by teaching them that it's not as hard to, it doesn't have to be super hard to stay consistent with, right? The more adherent they can get and the more self-belief they can get in themselves, the less stressful that it's going to feel. And the easiest way to stay consistent is just to give somebody more flexibility in terms of their numbers up front and not keep it too restricted. And so the goal up front, like I always tell people, isn't necessarily to lose a bunch of weight in these first two weeks. It's more so just to get you comfortable, to get you confident in what we're doing and get you just adhering to the plan. And then as we see how your biofeedback comes back with your hunger, with your stress levels, all of that. And as long as that's in a manageable position and you're able just to prove to yourself that you can track, well, if you feel like you can add a little bit more stress to that, then we're going to decrease calories further and really start to go out and dig after that result. So um, do they need more food? Absolutely. Up front, I think it can make a lot of sense to give them more food, but even deeper than that, how are they dealing with their highly stressed life in the first place, right? Like what right. does their, their day-to-day look like? How much caffeine are they consuming? Are they doing any, anything to help manage that stress in terms of walks outside, in terms of journaling, meditating, or just like taking 10 minutes a day for themselves to do whatever the hell it is that they want to do that's not like a part of their schedule? Like what are they doing to manage their stress outside of their nutrition? And then we add nutrition on an easiest way possible to build up their confidence with it and make it less stressful. And then from there, like we've set that foundation so that they can go out and really start building off of that and, and digging deeper and making it a, a more stressful piece to their life when they're able to manage it better, if that makes sense. No, 100%. And I couldn't agree more, man. For, like from a physiological level, does someone that's stressed need more calories to lose weight versus someone that's less stressed? No. Right. Like yeah. if we had all that, if we had like human bodies, but it, it'd almost be like, not to cut you off, but they could potentially need less Yeah, if I, hormones are downregulated, which I'd is going agree. to downregulate their metabolism. Right. And that's, and that's the thing. Like if we were like humans, but our brains were like, we're robot brains that we didn't feel emotions. I don't know. Weird analogy, but anyways, yeah, it, wouldn't it, sense. it wouldn't matter. Right. But like you said, like, for someone that's very stressed, and this is typically going to be a foul off client, they're probably like food is usually food and alcohol are probably the two most common things that like clients like this that we're working with, the two most common ways that they're dealing with that stress, right? Mm-hmm. And like you said, if it's, if we come in and it's, and this is a perfect example again of like, like I think of one client who just started recently where she wanted to start out of the gate tracking macros and do training and nutrition with me and I said like, we're not going to do training right like this is a big lifestyle change you have so much on your plate we're going to start just tracking calories and protein before we worry about training I just want you to hit your steps and to like just get this piece of it like this nutrition piece mastered first and foremost we can talk about that later like like you said like it has to be if it's another significant stressor they're probably not going to be able to adhere to it and mm-hmm. 
for most people, it's like, like you said, finding ways to create awareness. Like we're working through things like, Hey, okay. So like you went over your macros this day, talk me through, how are you feeling there? Like what caused this? And oftentimes it'll like helping them identify that. Okay. I do. And like, this isn't, this isn't like everyone's struggle, but a lot of people it is like, okay, I use like helping them realize like, okay, I use eating as a way to deal with stress. And then like understanding, like going from like, okay, I realized that after the fact to like being able to understand. And again, it's through things like journaling and just talking about it and like all these different things we do to manage stress. So like helping them like see in the moment, okay, I'm stressed. Therefore I feel like I need to eat, but like, okay, now we've worked through like, here's a healthier way to deal with this, right? Like maybe I do a breathing drill or go for a quick walk or something of that nature. And like you said, like, but if right away it is, we have them on very low calories, it's already going to be such a larger stressor and so hard for them to adhere that it probably will just like kind of crash and burn everything. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it, Chaz. <laughs> um, what you got for me? My turn? Yeah. Okay. Can you explain starvation mode? Is it true I won't lose weight if I eat too little? It's kind of similar. So no, this is not true. So the thing to think about is why Jeremiah, (laughs) I'm not explaining any more than that. Um, the thing to think about if starvation mode was a thing, then there would be people out there that were just like immune to dying of starvation, right? Like breatharians would be a real thing where you could just like live off of there. I saw, I saw a post on that from somebody the other day. I did just recently too. It's probably the same one. Um, but anyways, uh, so no, it's it's not a real thing. And again, like you always hear like the analogy. This is why there's not like just all these obese kids in third third world countries. This is this is super dark. Actually, I don't even know if I should even say this. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> there's not like these. <laughs> you don't like see these pictures of like these dying, super obese kids in like third world countries. And like, damn, like this kid had a damaged metabolism, so we didn't even know that, or like his metabolism was broken, so we didn't even know that he was starving or. My analogies are really falling flat, but you, you get the idea, right? It makes sense. Um, so no, it's not. That, from that end, no, it's not a thing. Um, I mean, when we look at the components of metabolism, basically what makes up your metabolism, we have your BMR, which is basically the calories your body would burn our best through things like your heart pumping, um, maintaining your muscle mass, your organs. Now, no matter what, like we can't really increase or decrease BMR too much outside of like adding or removing organs or like if you add or reduce muscle mass that'll muscle burns about six calories uh, per pound of muscle mass per day so not a massive difference by any means that's something that's been pretty overplayed it's more like about it's only six calories per pound per day yeah it's a lot smaller but I mean when you hear about like the metabolism boosting benefits of muscle it's a lot more so like okay you have a denser body you constantly have to move this denser body through space so thus that requires more calories to burn um you can lift heavier things more explosively so again you're burning more calories so so it does like still make a difference but it's like not because muscle is like such a metabolic the muscle itself right um so we have bmr which is typically about 60 to 70 percent of our overall calories we have the thermic effect of food, which is calories burned during digestion. We have non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is calories burned through pacing, fidgeting, blinking, hitting step goals. And we have the thermic effect of exercise, right? So as you diet, metabolism does slow down because first we have a slightly smaller body, right? So just keeping a slightly smaller body alive, you're going to rest, just takes less calories. So BMR will decrease slightly, not a massive decrease. 
Um, we're eating less food, so we're burning fewer calories through digestion. Typically, people are um, people have less energy, so thus they do less fidgeting and pacing, blinking, so burning more calories, less calories of the day there. And also because you're losing weight, which is the goal, um, you're also going to be burning less calories when you're training because you are moving a smaller volume through space. So again, it just requires less calories, plus you typically have a little less energy when you're dieting. Now, the beauty of this is like, as we eat more, your metabolism is really a pretty resilient thing. Um, so on the flip side, like as we eat more, your metabolism will increase, right? Like you're eating more food, so thus the thermic effect of food increases, and you also have more energy. So we're burning more calories via meat. We're able to push harder in our training. So maybe we're building a little bit more muscle and we're burning more calories in our training, but also because we're building more muscle, our body is again more dense. So we're burning more calories constantly. So again, like it's very much like metabolism is basically a product of how much you're currently moving, um, what you're currently eating, and your current body size. So that said, we do have a lot of people who will start coaching with us and it's like, hey, I am eating super low calories, but I still can't lose weight. Why is that? Now, like what I would say there, and I made a post about this the other day because someone asked on my podcast about um, downregulated metabolism and how to like fix the downregulated metabolism. So first, like there's a couple things. First, again, like what we discussed before, there, and this is why there is like, well, it's not, hey, you need, like in and of itself, like the problem is you're eating too little. And it's a very nuanced conversation, but it's not like the problem is you're eating too little. So thus, if we feed you like 200 calories more, like all of a sudden, like that's the magic number you lose, right? But in a roundabout way, one, from an adherence perspective, a lot of people, it is very hard to just consistently eat so much less. Um, so it's a little bit easier to adhere to higher calories. People get a much better result. Um, similarly, when we talk about like meat, some people will see like once I decrease calories so much, and this goes into this whole idea of energy flux. I apologize, this is pretty long-winded. Uh, but if we go into this idea of energy flux, which is kind of like the weight vest theory as well, basically there's low energy flux, which is basically think eat less, move less. High energy flux, which is basically think eat more, move more. And it's super interesting concept, something I wasn't familiar with recently, but basically there are a decent amount of studies that have shown that like, so think like an athlete who trains a ton, they eat a lot and they keep getting leaner and leaner and like improving their physique versus like a sedentary office worker who like gets 3,000, 4,000 steps a day, thus they have to diet on a lot less calories. It does seem that like this idea of these people who are on the higher energy flux end of the spectrum, so moving more and eating more, will typically get better body composition results and their metabolic rate will of course be higher because they're moving more versus these people who eat less. Um, but like the mistake most people are making to like sum this up, most people coming in in this position, either A, just haven't spent enough time building muscle. And I would say this is like one of the most fatal mistakes. So probably do need to go through a period of time. Like maybe you go through a reverse diet and go through a building phase and then come back to a cut. And the goal is to build muscle through that entire place. So then when you, when you come back to fat loss, you're in a much better place to do so. Second, are typically under your protein. Because again, when we look at that component of your metabolism, the thermic effect of food, protein is going to burn a lot more calories during digestion than um, carbs or fat, right? So when we wrap up protein, again, it makes a pretty decent difference in your metabolism, plus you'll be able to build and maintain more muscle, which it makes a big difference in your metabolism. And then finally, they're typically not tracking steps. 
Um, so again, like if that, that makes a big difference, like if your steps are all over the place, it doesn't matter how consistently you hit your macros. We're like, we're only looking at the calories inside of the equation. Now we're also looking at calories out with how many steps we're taking per day. So like regulating those as well makes sense. So just like if you build muscle, if you eat more protein and you hit a consistent step goal, you can, like if your metabolism went down regulated before, you can upregulate it like that. Um, that is my long-winded answer. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are you are probably the smartest person I've ever talked to. <laughs> Don't say that, dude. <laughs> no. Don't tear up on the podcast. <laughs> I, no, that was much more long-winded than I probably would have went down because you're a ninja when it comes to the science of things. So that's why I like to podcast with you because you know how to break things down like from like scratch and then like just rebuild the entire thing so that you understand the full spectrum of it. As you were saying that, I, I brought up a, a good post topic for me for a, for a TikTok later today. So I'm just sitting here taking notes. <laughs> but no. <laughs> no, I think if I added anything to that answer, I would just make it worse. So there's, there's nothing... There's nothing for me to add to that, man. I think we should just move on. I think that you broke it down extremely well. My question for you then is, I despise list cardio and don't enjoy hour-long CrossFit style workouts, but willing to do two to three 15 to 20 minute long conditioning sessions, partly for mental toughness and partly to work in some unconventional exercises and expand horizons. How would you program these for someone who's primarily, whose primary goal is to look and perform like forward? Whoa. Do you want me to repeat any of that? So they want to do unconventional movements for car- – yeah, just re- – sorry. Listen, so basically please, what he's saying – Please say the question. <laughs> it's okay. It took, me, it took me a second too. So basically what he's saying is – also shout out to my guy Kai for this question. My dude posts amazing memes. Um, basically what he's saying is he's willing – he hates list cardio – Okay. But he is willing to do two to three 15 to 20 minute sessions um, for, for mental conditioning. Toughness. And basically his goal is aesthetics and performance. How would you go about programming that? Oh, man. That makes me get too creative at the moment. I'm not feeling super creative. <laughs> um, you start and I'll think about it. I've had time to think about it. So what I would say is, I, I mean, I wouldn't do... I wouldn't get too far down the rabbit hole of like wacky unconventional exercises because you'll really probably yeah. just get a less effective result, right? So what I would say is probably how I would approach this for someone who like, I want to look to you and perform like Thor, I would probably do once per week, similar to what I talked about on the last podcast, like what I'm talking about right now, where our focus as far as energy systems is that anaerobic alactic system. So basically something where it's like, 10 to 15 seconds of all out effort, which is really as long as we can sustain that mm-hmm. alactic burst. So again, if we're looking to like look and perform like Thor, this is like the performance side of things, right? Like this will carry over to your training, your explosiveness, like 10 to 15 seconds all out, followed by one to two minutes rest. Repeat that for like eight to 12 rounds. And I would honestly say like longer than eight to 10 rounds is going to be pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. The thing here is as well, like when we're doing, and that's, I'm actually interested to dive to bring it back to like my cardio prescription from before and like why I'm doing that. Um, to actually improve your anaerobic alactic system, we need to be able to, which is again, is like that first 10 to 15 seconds of intense exercise, what we're doing. We need to kind of be able to maintain level of like energy output across the rounds. We don't want to see like a big fall off there. Um, 
anyways, so I would basically say like 10 to 15 seconds, all at work, one to two minutes rest between rounds on something like the assault bike, which again is brutal, but very effective. I would do one session like that. Then I would probably do something like rower intervals. Um, and I mean, basically we would want to, if it's aesthetics and performance, we want to do something that pushes your, your anaerobic system, which is like going to be anything from 10 to 40 seconds. And then we would want to do something that pushes your aerobic system a little bit more, which is basically just your body's ability to sustain a certain pace. So what I would say there is I'll probably either do like, and the reality is in like in 15, 20 minutes, I would still probably say like, hop on the rower or the assault bike and try to maintain a heart rate of 120 to 140 beats per minute at the fastest pace you can and then try to increase the distance that you can go at will maintain that heart rate across weeks or slightly increase the speed across weeks because when we're trying to progress our aerobic system then it's basically um again increasing like the the duration or the speed that we can sustain a specific, a specific pace at so i mean what I would say there is I would either do that or like with that second conditioning day, maybe do something like, like what we did before, but to a lesser extent. So maybe it's like, because I mean, we could also do like 40 to 60 seconds of like not all out, but like 80% effort on the assault bike or the rower, do one to two minutes at a sustainable pace, kind of rinse and repeat there as well. That's probably how I would split it up. Um, I mean, the reality is like for performance, that's a good approach for, and for performance, I would still do like one aerobic, one anaerobic. Yeah. But for fat loss, I would still say like, you're not going to get that much out of this or fat loss, but you could really do take like any of those. Um, you what do you throw a step count on top of that? That's what I'd say as well. Yeah. For, um, again, I think you're the smartest guy that I've ever talked to. Let's move on to the next one. I think you nailed it. <laughs> cool. Uh, do you have any more? Yeah. That's all I got. Um, let's keep on going. I've got a couple more. How long should a maintenance phase be and how should your macros look for it? I'm going to let you take that one. Sure. So in terms of maintenance, like a lot of people want to ask this question in terms of how long should I be in a deficit for? How long should I be at a maintenance level for? How long should I be at a, in a surplus for? And the unfortunate answer to that is it depends. Like there's not some, we get this question every podcast. Yeah, I think we do too. In some form, like asking a duration of, a, of something, right? right? In terms of like how long a phase should be. And really it's, it's all going to come down to what your history has looked like and what your, um, what, how your biofeedback is all coming back at the end of the day, right? For some people, the maintenance phase might just need to be for, and it can almost look like a, a diet break to where it's, it's two weeks up to two months, potentially. Some people are going to need two months up to six months. Some people are going to need up to a year. Like everybody's just going to come at this from a very different perspective or from a very different situation. So first off, it's going to depend upon, okay, what were you doing before this maintenance phase? How long were you dieting for? Um, how much fat did you lose? Where, is, where are your hormones at? Where are your hunger levels at? Where is your energy, your recovery, your motivation? Where are all of these at? And what is your plan moving forward from here as well in terms of like, where are you ultimately trying to end up? If the plan is like you've, you've dieted down, you're as lean as you want to be, and you just want to learn how to sustain this, this new body composition that you've created and you're good with that, well, your maintenance phase is 
essentially forever if you're in a good position, right? You can just try to learn to maintain that and just be in a position to where you try to recomp for the rest of your life, essentially. Um, if you're coming into it, let's say you've been dieting for three months and you want to go through a maintenance phase and you've got another three months worth of dieting to come. Well, I would argue that that diet break should, you can put a time frame on it, but I would say it should last as long as needed to allow biofeedback. If you don't have a time frame on this, essentially, like if you have all the time in the world to get there, you should stay in that maintenance break for as long as needed until your biofeedback is all back to a good position until um, your metabolism is, is fully recovered until your, um, your, to another um, deficit phase. Yo. Jeremiah? Can you hear me? Can now you hear I can. Me? Now I can hear you. Okay. Did you, how long ago did I cut out on you? Um, like two minutes ago. How much did you hear? I heard you go into like, uh, basically you like went through the guidelines for how long you should be in a maintenance space. And talking about like where it was coming from. Like if you were, yeah, what, like you're basically you're talking for. about how like it all depends on biofeedback. Yeah. So we'll just keep this thing rolling. Cool. Go with that. Yeah. Let's get awesome. it. <laughs> I was saying the whole time, Jeremiah, Jeremiah. You there? <laughs> I'll, I'll try to cut that one out probably. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, um, long story short, the amount of time that your maintenance is, you should be in maintenance is going to depend upon how long you were dieting for, where your biofeedback is currently at, and what your plan is moving forward. And so again, there's not going to be like a set number that is like, you should be at maintenance for six months. It's going to depend upon how your body is recovering from the last diet that you are, that's going to depend upon how long you should be at that maintenance phase. Like if you want to put a particular number on it, I guess like a very vague guideline that you could use is you should spend at least, I don't know. I don't even love doing this, but like I would say you should spend half to the same amount of time at maintenance as you were in the diet before going through another diet. Like that's one guideline that you could put on it. But if you want to get deeper and I suggest that you do get deeper is you take time to fully allow hunger levels to recover by tracking them on a weekly basis. Like we do with clients we have in our weekly check-in, it says, where would you rate your hunger levels for the week? There's an always starving. There's a pretty satisfied. There's a very satisfied. Um, there's a few more there too, just like gauging where their hunger is at. And so I can go back and look at that and see how it's improving over time. And I would never put somebody back into another diet until they, they were in a position of either pretty satisfied or um, extremely satisfied, ideally getting them to a point where they're extremely satisfied and food focused in any form of a way before dropping calories back down. So um, in a roundabout way, I, I know I broke it down. I can't remember exactly how I broke it down before the lag. And so hopefully that gives you all of the information. What do you, what do you have to add on to that? I agree, man. The thing is, how long you should be at maintenance or take a diet break is solely, not solely, but it's 
primarily dependent on biofeedback. Yeah. And biofeedback varies so much from individual to individual because like what body fat we What is biofeedback? Uh, it's motivation, mood, cravings, hunger, energy levels, training performance, right? But the thing is like, and a lot of biofeedback is really going to base on be based on body fat percentage. But the thing mm-hmm. is, people genetically have different predispositions to what amount of body fat you feel good with. So like two people could be the exact same body fat and the exact same, like have the exact same phrase, frame and amount of muscle mass. But like one person could need six weeks of maintenance to get biofeedback back to normal. What another person could need two weeks. So yeah. Or one person might even need to add some fat back just to right. get their biofeedback to come. Like it's so exactly. different. Yeah. Exactly. And that's like, it's so hard. <laughs> and I, I, people do always want this number, but it's like, it's, you just can't like it's doing I, it's a good rule of thumb and i think that when i if we just look at like maintenance to dieting and i always like i always think like well what about building phases right but i think that like when people are saying this they're saying like maintenance and building yeah I agree. um you should definitely spend a lot more of the year like i would like at least like a 75 percent at maintenance or building to like 25 percent cutting like ratio across the year that said, I mean, like a lot of clients will initially start and like, Hey, I need to lose 50 pounds to get to where I want to be. So we'll spend like the first six, eight months focusing on cutting. Right. Or then, a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then it's like, once you're at a healthy body fat, then at least three, four of your year should be focused on building, mm-hmm. right. Or building or at maintenance. Um, and of course there's some exceptions to that too. Like maybe you have to go through a five month bodybuilding show prep, right. It, it depends, but I think that's a good rule of thumb more than anything else. I would agree. I I like that um, perspective on it. Thinking around three fourths of the year should be placed around a maintenance or um, a building phase. If I would say with that, like as long as you're in a body fat percentage that is manageable and like, you don't have to be extremely lean, but like you should feel comfortable in your body fat percentage most of the time. And if you're there, if you're not there yet, focusing more of that time on the deficit to get to that point is the first step for everybody. And then once you're there and you're a bit more advanced and you've been through this process, like Jeremiah said, 75% of your year should be focused on building and 25 should be spent on dieting. And that's hard. That's hard mentally for people who are trying to start to make that transition and like mm-hmm. go from a beginner intermediate to an advanced trainee. But at the end of the day, like to get to more of that advanced position, those are people who have spent a substantial amount more of their time building and maintaining right. opposed to dieting. And that's uh-huh. like that switch you have to get to get over that hump. I think that's the biggest mindset thing I have to talk about with clients. Oh is, man, it's every week. Oh yeah, is <laughs> no, we, this is, don't worry about your abs right now. To be yeah. like, it's like these, like I was talking to a client yesterday, who's like, I see these dudes that are walking around, they just look super lean year round. They have like abs. Um, and, I, and again, like some of it is like, yo, make sure you're filtering like what you're seeing on Instagram versus yeah, what Instagram. in real life. Um, Cause I'll also say like, I was talking to another client to kind of get off the topic, but at the same, same time, like when he was talking about how, like I see all these dudes on Instagram that are like in the fitness industry and I feel like average, if not a little bit below average, but then like goes around my buddies the other day and I realized like actually how much I am crushing it. And that's like same thing. Like even like going to fitness like, conferences, coaching conferences where you're around all these other people you follow on Instagram, like, nobody's nearly as jacked as they look on their Instagram. And it's such a weird thing to be like, damn, I have like felt so below. Cause I felt the same way a ton. Like, man, my calves are actually super small, but um, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
I'm so far below average compared to everyone else. And then it's like, oh, wow. Okay. That's not, it's just weird how that distorts your view. But, um, and I think you get caught up like following a lot of people get caught up following people that you don't really know what's going on. Right. Like I, I always bring it up, but so most of the fitness industry, if they're not like even some of the coaches, but evidence-based coach, like they're taking things that are allowing them to be leaner and bigger, easier. Right. And so like, keep that filter on. I think it's very easy for like a lot of people will call people who could be natty natural. They call them on steroids and maybe they're not, but like the majority of them that look like they might be on steroids or like are very lean year round are on steroids. You know what I mean? Like it's a very common rule. Like the easiest way to be able to pinpoint a natural that, that does this naturally compared to somebody who's lean and jacked year round is the naturals lean and jacked for a few months out of the year. And like the, the, unnaturals are lean and jacked year round. So I think that that's very important to, to make sure people understand. I have that conversation with the guys that I work with all the time. They want to be leaner. They want to be leaner and we've gotten leaner and then they don't look how they want. And so we go through a build and it's been two or three months and they're like, I'm ready to get lean again. And it's like, right. whoa, exactly. whoa, 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 whoa. You know what I mean? Right. So, that desire to want to get lean now is what's keeping you from adding the muscle that you need to actually long-term have a disease that you want. Yeah. So I, what I would say to that too is filter who you're following right? Like who are you following people who are giving you realistic advice or like, are you following these Jack dudes that are posting pictures with their shirts off day in and day out that are making you feel like you're less than and wanting you to deviate from your plan to look like them, follow the guys like a Jeremiah or, or whoever it is that are talking more about this long-term process and giving you a realistic expectation rather than one that maybe you just don't have all the facts to it, if that makes sense. And that's not to put anybody down, but it's just the truth. No, 100%. The real question of all of this, dude, Steve Cook, natty or not? Ooh. <laughs> I work out at his gym. <laughs> so not to bring up a sore subject, bro, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, he's admitted that he took stuff in college. Like I've seen some stuff on that. I oh, really? Like I didn't YouTube know that actually. Yeah, but he says that he's natural. So I guess that's what we're going with. And he's not like, he's always big, but he's not ever like, I would say like, I don't know. He was always a big guy before. Like, I think it's important to look at what guys look like beforehand too. Yeah, and like he played college sure. football. He's a big dude. Okay. And now he's never like in, like he's never like substantially lean year round. Right. Like he's always got a pretty good, uh, like lower level of body fat percentage, but he's not like sitting in single levels yeah. year round. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. No, it's probably optimizing his, his T levels as most guys are, but who knows? Fair enough. Fair enough. Just What's your opinion? To, don't put have, me on the hot seat and then you don't answer. <laughs> I have no idea, dude. I remember when I was in college, I was such a Steve Cook fangirl. Uh, me and Tristan were talking about this the other day, as I think most of us were. Um, and he trains in the gym. Like, he's not there right now, but, like, first part of the year is, is like, kind of surreal to go in and, like, you're just training with Steve Cook. He's like, hey, yo, what's up? It's like, What's up? <laughs> I would be so nervous. It seems like such a good dude. Yeah. He got engaged and I was going to comment. Like, I was like, man, you'd get married, Steve. But <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Anyways, uh, I didn't comment that. Uh, Got to keep up my appearance on social media. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, I have no idea. I remember, though, when I was like on the bodybuilding.com forums and everyone was like saying Steve Cook is on steroids. I was like, What? I like the. I thought I was gonna like be this jacked in like a year, dude. Like I know, same. <laughs> anyways, um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't care. I 
<laughs> no answer? No. You're not going to give it a yes? Or I, if you I, had to I guess, choose to hold it. Had, I use, okay, no, 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 okay. no. If you I'd say had no. to guess, he's you would not. say no? No, no, he is natty. You say he's natty? See, yeah, I that's would. That's what this podcast is turning into. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's what I would probably lean towards. Ma, but who knows? I choose to believe Steve no matter what he says. Or no matter what anyone else says, dude. <laughs> he's strong. He's strong. <laughs> when he's in there training, he's strong. Uh, so is uh, Hutton. Jake oh, yeah. Hutton. That dude is, that dude is crazy. Yeah. yeah. He okay. trains around the same time as I do each day in there. And he's out like. That'd be kind yeah, of intimidating between those two. I feel like I would always be so like nervous like i love it dude. Like, really. there's nothing i like more than going into a gym with dudes that are or just people not even dudes just oh, just big for steve <laughs> just people in general who are working hard and That's like true. in there with like with a goal do you know what yeah. i mean i go in and it just it pumps me up to want to train harder too I, i'm fine with i'm smaller than those guys it's completely fine like just give me your energy you know what yeah. i mean so yeah. it's cool i i enjoy it not even that, just it being Steve specifically, I think I'd be super nervous for. Yeah. Well, he's almost like, a, he's like to the status today, I would say. Like, he's like a celebrity. I would imagine so. You that, know what I mean? That has to be hard to train for him. Yeah. He owns it, dude. He just walks in, he's like, yo, what's up? And just talks to everybody and like, just gets to his training session. I, I would imagine like, he's not training in there every day during the busy time. He's training, you know what I mean? It's afternoons and, or probably nights and stuff when it's slow, but. But yeah, he's super good, super genuine dude. Cool, cool. He actually asked my wife out right before I started. <laughs> That's training. why I didn't know if that this was going to be a sore subject to bring up or not. I, I've, I've talked yeah. to him. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> like my favorite. My <laughs> That's my favorite Chaz story. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Just that you beat out Steve Cook. Perfect. Yeah. Huh. Proud of you, bro. Thanks, man. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> any other questions? Um, I think we're good. We've rambled on. Cool. All right, team. As always, if anyone is still listening to this, we appreciate you hanging in there and we will talk to you guys next time. Hasta la vista.